Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 31. There's some really great verses in here. So great that uh, I was going to try to get to the end of the chapter, but you know how that goes with me. So, on Sunday, we got insight into Paul's abundant life. How many were here Sunday? You remember? Paul has an abundant life, but from the outside, you might not recognize it until you start to see how he thinks and the way he acts and the way he praises in the midst of his circumstances. Paul's abundant life could be described this way. Joy in jail. Beauty in beatings. Paul had peace in persecution. Paul experienced Shiloh in shipwreck. Hallelujah in hurricanes. What is the deal with this guy? How did he live this kind of life? Well, one of the things we learned on Sunday from Paul, and actually we know that Peter knew it as well, that there is this tie between suffering and glory. Look at verse 18. Paul says, uh, Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed uh, in us. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, I believe, and we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, and, and actually verse 17, just prior to, there is this connection between suffering and glory. Paul knew about it and lived by it. Peter knew about it and lived by it. There's this tie between suffering and, and our present suffering and our future shining, if you will. There's this tie between our present groaning and our future glory. And this was a tremendous help to Paul. Every groan that came out of Paul's lips, right? He's getting out of a chair after he's been beaten. Oh. Every groan sent him to glory. His mind went immediately to glory. And we saw he talked a lot about groaning on Sunday, right? He said creation groans, waiting for the unveiling of man, 2.0. Uh, we won't reteach that, just let you listen, listen for it. Um, he says also, though we groan, we're also waiting for this future glory. This, the whole subject of Romans chapter 8 is basically pain in the believer's life. And we see from Paul that it, it's possible to actually live an abundant life when you're surrounded by pain and hurt and struggle. It's pretty amazing. One whole chapter devoted to this subject, pain in the believer's life. I don't know about you, but that tells me that God knew that we were going to struggle with this. That we were going to go, this doesn't make sense, Lord. He devoted a whole chapter to this subject. To me, that means that he, he knew we were going to ask questions like this. Have you ever asked this kind of question? God, if you love me, why do you allow such pain? God, do, do, you, do you know what you're doing up there? God, are you, are you, what are you up to? God, are you even paying attention to me down here? Lord, have I slipped off your radar? Lord, did I just hear my guardian angel go, whoops, my bad. <laughs> if you've ever felt that way, I feel like the Lord wants to talk to you tonight. I think this is what he's saying. My son, my daughter, nothing could be further from the truth. I promise you this, the Lord says. 
I am at this very moment, at the moment that you least think I am paying attention, I am working on your behalf. If nothing else, these verses that we look at tonight should convince the willing believer, if you're willing to receive it, God never, ever takes his eye off you. He's always very active, especially in your distress. You want to hear how God is active in our distress? Good. Here we go. Number one, we're going to talk about tonight, and we won't talk long about it, but this fact that that God himself is interceding for you. Number two, we're going to see that God is interweaving for you. Romans 8.28. And we're going to see that God is insistent, very insistent on accomplishing his purpose in you. And we're going to see that God is in control. And finally, as we come to the last verse tonight, we're going to see that God is in your corner. He's interceding, he's interweaving, he's insistent on accomplishing what he set out to do, and he's in control, and he's even in your corner. First, let's look at it. God is interceding for you. We saw that last time. Look at verse 26. We'll just back up a bit. We covered this, but uh, I want to I mention it again. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Boy, is that appropriate when you're really struggling? He's just like, I don't even know how to pray. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Intercession, it's a fancy way way of saying the Spirit is praying for you. I won't go back and reteach this. Again, you can listen online, but I really, really want to make sure that you're aware of. I want to remind you when you are tempted to wonder, God, are you paying attention? It says right here, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. He is praying for you. And apparently he's praying passionately. I mean, he's groaning for goodness sake. He is praying passionately for you. He's carrying your burden better than you could ever express it, right to the throne of God Almighty. He's praying for you, not only passionately, but he's praying for you perfectly, because we saw this as well, verse 27, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You get that? Because the Holy Spirit is God, he knows the perfect will of God. He always prays in perfect harmony with what God the Father already wants. Right? The Bible says... If, if two or, or more of us uh, agree on any one thing as, as touches the Lord's will, if the, if the Lord is in it, if, if that's what he's interested in doing, then he's always going to say yes and amen. So the Holy Spirit is praying for you in words that you may not even be able to understand, just groans, things that can't be expressed. He's praying for you in a way that God the Father always says yes, yes, amen. I'll do it. In the Holy Spirit, let me put it this way. You have a passionate prayer partner who always prays the perfect prayer for you. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like God has forgotten you? Thank you. Well, think about this. If that's not enough, that you have one prayer partner like that, look down at verse 34 and you'll see 
that Jesus, the Son of God, is also at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Do the math, guys. If you are a Christian, and only if you're a Christian can I tell you this truthfully, you are the subject of a prayer meeting between the two best prayers I've ever heard of. The Holy Spirit and God the Son. God the Son and God the Spirit are double-teaming God the Father on your behalf. But, verse 27 says, that it's not like God the Father is, he is getting this earful, right? Two ears full. But it's not that it's unwillingly. No, it says he is searching the hearts. So this is, they are responding to a, an inquiry that God the Father has made already. And we say, God, do you even care about me? When in reality, what's happening is there is this giant prayer session with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all talking about you. That's what it says, verse 28. Not only, though, is God interceding for you, He is interweaving for you. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. We touched on this last Sunday. But what I want to show you here tonight is that this is the opposite of inactivity. Far from inactivity, God, it says, is working right now. He's working all things together. We talked about it. It's like a tapestry, right? Where, where He sees the top side and we see the bottom side. <laughs> Bottom side looks pretty ragged. I see the bits and the pieces, the frayed edges, the parts that don't seem to fit. The, the whole thing sometimes looks pretty ugly from my side. But God sees the whole thing from the beginning to the end and He's weaving it together. He's working it all together into a masterpiece. He's interweaving everything in your life, the good stuff and the bad stuff, into this masterpiece. He's that kind of artisan. He's that talented. He can, he's able to interweave all of it into glory. One thing I want to point out before we, before we go on. Remember again, I've said this on Sunday. It does not say that everything that happens to you is good. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say everything that happens to you is good. No, it says God is working. He's busy working all things together, the good stuff and the bad stuff, for your good. Let me illustrate it from our life. Um, Lisa knows um, there's, there's a, a lady, I'm sure it's more than a lady, it's probably lots of people, uh, but I think one lady wrote a book that says autism is a blessing. Lisa doesn't think so. <laughs> Lisa doesn't think that autism by itself is a blessing. I agree with her. I'm not thinking that this thing that prevents me from being able to communicate with my boy is a blessing by itself. But listen, the message of Romans 8.28 is that God is able to interweave autism into the masterpiece that he's creating in my life, in Lisa's life, in Isaac's life, in Noah's life. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Please also notice, it does not say, and we feel that all things work together. Verse 28 is not about feeling. It is about knowing that the promise is true. And sometimes it only, you only know it by faith. 
Sometimes you, you have this conversation. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who has a conversation with the Lord like this. Lord, I don't feel like you're working this into a masterpiece. Lord, I certainly don't see how you're going to work this into a tapestry. But Lord, because you have said it, I know it's true and I choose to believe. I don't know how else to help you if you're in that spot where things are happening to you and you're under your circumstances. I don't think God wants us to live under our circumstances. The only way I can think of to help you and to help me is to show you how Paul looked at it. He viewed everything, the promotion, the pink slip, the healing, the hurting, the plenty, the poverty, all of it, he viewed it and said, I know that God, like a master artisan, is weaving absolutely everything he allows in my life together for my good in the long haul. Let's stop there. That's how Paul viewed everything. Is that how you view everything? Maybe for some tonight, your application, your spiritual act of worship tonight is to actually have that conversation with God. To actually say with your own lips, Lord, this piece of the puzzle right here looks really funky to me. I don't understand at all how, how you could possibly make this part of a masterpiece. But God, you say it, so I know it to be true. Lord, I trust you. So, far from being inactive, which is what we accuse God of, we've seen God is interceding for you, He's interweaving for you, and next, God is insistent on His purpose for you. Look at verse 28 again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. That, that would be you, Christian, right? You love him because he first loved you. To those who are, it says, the called. So what that means is you can X your name off of this promise if you're not a believer. If you're not part of the called, that is the chosen people. Okay? To those who are called... And then it says, according to his purpose. These last few words are key. Hopefully this will help you understand. It's helped me actually personally this week. God is allowing the pain and the trials. He's working all of them together in his plan for you. And it says that the whole thing that he's shooting after is according to his purpose for you. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually brings me great comfort. Just knowing that he has a purpose. There's a huge difference between these two scenarios where I cry out to God and he says to me, look, Doug, I, don't, I know you don't understand, but it's all going according to the plan. We're right on track. I allowed this thing to enter the canvas of your life so that I could work it into what I'm doing. There's a huge difference between that and where I pour out my heart and God goes, I don't know. You got me. That's a big difference, right? It says he's working all them together according to his purpose. That means he does have a plan. He does have a purpose. And anything that he allows on that canvas, he is able to interweave into that purpose. But now, of course, we ask, well, what is the purpose? This might be enlightening. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he, he also uh, predestined. And here's his purpose for you. To be conformed to the image of his son. God's primary purpose for you. The, 
when he is weaving all of the broken bits and the puzzling pieces into this masterpiece, the triumphs, the tragedies, the fun stuff, and the fungus. Everything, his end game is this one purpose, that you be conformed to the image of his son. His end game for you is to be more and more like Jesus. I want to do something just real quick. I'm just going to name a few qualities. And I want you guys just to say, like Jesus. Ready? This is what God's purpose is. All the junk that he allows in your life. He wants you to be, for instance, perfect. Joyous. Caring. Healing. Smart. Funny. Wise. Courageous. Loving. Serving. And so much more. He wants you to be exactly like His precious, precious Son that He gave for you. And guess what? His purpose is not just for you. He also wants me to be conformed to the image of His Son. He wants us to be conformed. The other Christians that are here in this room, the other Christians that are here in this community, His end game, His purpose is, it says, that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, that, look at this, He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose is building an army of winsome Christians just like Jesus. God's desire is to surround Jesus with worthy brothers and sisters. You remember in John chapter 12, Jesus speaking of his death, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus says, I got a choice here. I can just keep living and not have a bunch of people like Jesus. Or I can die. And it will produce much grain. God's purpose is he wants to build an army of winsome Christians. That would be, middle of verse 29, be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God wants to build a whole race of people just like Jesus. Let's call it the attack of the clones. Get it? Send in the clones. Don't bother. They're here. God's desire is to surround Jesus with worthy brothers and sisters. People that are just as good and perfect and wise and gentle and loving as our big brother who loved us and gave himself for us. But here's the thing, and the part that we totally miss. Notice it says, God's purpose is that we would be conformed. It does not say, God's purpose is that we would be comfortable. Oh, well, that clears up a whole bunch. I've been thinking all this time that God, His desire was to make me comfortable. No, no. It says His desire is to make me conformed to this awesome image of His Son. 
His primary goal, I hate to break it to you, is not your temporary comfort, but your eternal character. Matter of fact, if indeed, if, if God were as inactive as we accuse him to be, I bet you he would settle for our comfort. And you know what he'd end up, end up with? An army of dugs. Oh, send in the clowns. <clears throat> right? If, if he were as inactive as we accuse him of being, he would say, yeah, well, let's just kick back. I'll just make you comfortable. No, it's that we would be conformed. That means the pink slip, the heartache, the disappointment. Each time God is looking at that thing, says, does this fit in the tapestry? And we go, yeah, it sure does. It's comfortable. He goes, nope, not conforming. Right? Or, or we, we want this promotion. We want something that we think is going to be good for us. And we go, hey, that's awesome. Look at that. That's comfortable. And he says, nope, but it's not conforming. God is intently insisting on achieving his purpose for you. He's far from inactive. He's just not doing what you want him to do. He's saying, no, I am staying on task for your good. And here's where it really gets good, guys. He never, ever fails. The, the, message, the title of the message tonight is Groans to Glory Guaranteed. If you have been born again, I promise you, if you've been born again, if you've given your life to him, if you have a relationship with him, I promise you, your groans to glory is guaranteed. It is your destiny. It was pre-planned. Look at it, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All right. The word foreknew, predestined. If you notice, there are some hobby horses in here that we won't ride tonight. Don't worry. In chapter 9, those hobby horses, we'll have a whole rodeo, okay? But tonight, let's do what we're supposed to do and keep this in context. Yes, there is information regarding God's election and His sovereignty here, but please, please, and, and I promise you, Paul will make the point in chapter 9, please, please don't miss the, the context of the message here, which is speaking to the person who's in trials, who's wondering if God is even paying attention. And maybe that's you tonight. He's saying, look, God is not only interceding for you, He's not only interweaving for you, He is not only insisting intently on conforming you into the image of Jesus, but best of all, God is in control of the whole thing. From beginning to end. Look, you see these five words, foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified, spans all of eternity. It's crazy. He starts at the beginning, well, as far back as we can even comprehend. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew. That word means he knew us beforehand. Ephesians 1.4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I think I saw a Facebook post today that says, um, I loved you as soon as I knew that I was pregnant. You know, God can say, I loved you Way before that. Before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, he knew you. He knew you. That means he knew what, sorry to say it, what a lousy sinner you'd be. And I'd be. 
He knew every secret you've ever had. He knew how many times you'd fall. He knew the tears that you would shed and He knew the life that you would live up till now and He knows the life that you still have yet to live. He knew a billion years ago every breath, every hair on your head, the Bible says. And that's easier for some than maybe for others for Him to know that. Talking about balls. Okay, never mind. They're not really funny when you have to explain them. Um, He knew all of it from the very get-go and here's the amazing part. That he didn't stop and go, okay, I know, I know enough. No, the next word is predestined. He foreknew you, he knew you ahead of time, and he still picked you. The word predestined, it means to mark off ahead of time. To say, I want that one. Yeah, before anything happens, I want that one. To choose, to pick. Why? Why in the world would he pick me? Why in the world would he pick you? Because you're such a great catch? No, don't make me read Romans chapters 2 and 3 again. Right? We were all condemned to die. We're all, our, our best day is filthy rags before Him. It's a completely free gift. It's nothing we've earned. It's not because we're such a great catch. It's just because He loves us. These verses are not intended to be debated, believe it or not. They are intended for tremendous encouragement. If you're a Christian, I can tell you, God knew what he was getting from way before you ever existed, and he still pre-picked you. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you see that? We, we, we get stuck on that word predestined, and we're like, okay, my head's going to pop. But do you see the whole sentence is, he's predestined for you to be conformed into the image of his son. It's, it's done. It's, it's established. It will happen. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. So three words so far. Foreknew, then predestined, and then it says called. The word called is simply means to be invited. If you have invited Jesus into your life, it's because, according to the scriptures, the Father first invited you. He called you. Uh, John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Uh, In that same chapter, Jesus says, All that the Father give me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Again, some of those things can make make your head pop. But basically, the only reason you're a Christian is because God called you. He wooed you to himself and But you have, it says, when Jesus said, whoever uh, comes to me, I will not cast out. That means maybe for you it was a few weeks ago. You said, yes, I'll receive your gift. Guess what? He called you. If you've repented, if you've given your life to Jesus, Jesus, you have answered the call of the Father. He gave the invitation and you gave gave your life to Jesus. You answered the call of the Father. Okay, he, He made that offer, that invitation, and you basically said, yeah, I'll take that. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Those he predestined, verse 30, these he also called. And then it says, whom he called, these he also justified. That's a familiar word now, right? Just as if I had never sinned. If you are born again, then he made you just as if 
You'd never sinned. In legal terms, you are sinless. You have the righteousness of God put into your account. It's not a condition you could achieve. It's a commodity you had to receive. When you did that, you basically did nothing except say, Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I'll take your life in exchange. And he made you just as if you'd never sinned. Now watch this. This is where it really gets cool. Whom God foreknew, he predestined. Right? Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. And look at the end of that verse. And whom he justified, these he also, what? Past tense. Glorified. Glorified. Past tense. Now, if there ever seems to be a word that should be future, it's this one. Glorified. Right? We've been talking about these three words, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, that's when you gave your life to him. He made you justified that instant. Sanctification is a process. It's one that, that is going on. It's like, boy, Lord, let's, let's, let's move this a little quicker. And he goes, okay, you want more persecution? Okay, no, okay, I'm good. Justification, sanctification is a process. But this, this glorification is the one that we just think is hanging out there, right? And, and it is. 1 Corinthians 15 says that in the future, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be glorified. That means perfect, just like Jesus. Caring, just like Jesus. Loving, just like Jesus. All of this is happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's described in that chapter as a future event. The crowning moment of history when we will be in the future, glorified like and with Jesus. So here's the question. Why in the world is Paul speaking now in the past tense? Just to make it very clear to you and to me. You could call this the prophetic past tense. It's from God's perspective. There's all sorts of places in the Bible where you look at it and you're going, this doesn't make sense from a time perspective. It's like, oh, that's because God wrote it. God is outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning, the Bible says. He speaks um, those things that are not as though they were, and it turns out they are. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, but it makes sense because he's outside of time. He can look at me. <laughs> Would you call me glorified? <laughs> no. But he can look at me because he sees the very, the very beginning, the very end, right? He sees all of it, and he sees me in past tense, glorified. He's outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning. Think about this. From God's vantage point, outside of time, not only did he know you ahead of time, he chose you ahead of time. He called you. He justified you. And now, not only that, this project that you are on his workshelf, this tapestry that you are, he says, look, this whole conforming to Jesus thing, it's a done deal. We say, Lord, I want to be like you. Lord, I want to think like you. I want to act like you. Your, your Heavenly Father, from this perspective, says, done. It's done. I've seen the end. The message is that He is in control. You are His project that stretches out from before time all the way till after time ceases. You are his project and the message here and in Philippians, God has no unfinished projects. <laughs> Me? I've got a few. 
I've got a desk full. I've got a garage full. I don't know if any of you, maybe I'm the only one. Aren't you glad, for so many reasons, that God's not like me? <laughs> he has no unfinished projects. He, he, there's nothing that's on His agenda that won't get done. Every bump then, think about this, every bruise, every hurt, every disappointment that is allowed onto the canvas... It's allowed by a God who is in control and who guarantees you your groans will turn to glory. Guaranteed. God is interceding for you. He is interweaving for you. He is in control. And believe it or not, as we're getting ready to close here, verse 31, He's even in your corner. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to hopefully end on, on an up note, but let me be convicting one more time. And I know this is probably going to convict you because it convicts me. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? How guilty are we of the following? When the scripture says, and God never lies, that he's doing all of these things for us. How rotten is that? Is it of us that we at that very moment are accusing him of being against us? Whether with our words or our worry, our complaining, how wrong is it that God of all creation is for me and at that very moment I'm thinking he must be against me? Christian, I hope, if nothing else, Paul has convinced you, because he has for me tonight, and Lord willing, let it continue the rest of my life. He's convinced me of this. God is for me. God is in your corner. He is pulling for you. Please don't act like he's not. You want to be like Jesus? He wants you to be like Jesus. And he's being very active toward that goal. And if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? God is, you've heard this said, by himself an unbeatable army. Right? Me and God, we can take on, on the whole world, right? It's like, I love the fact that I even put me in there. God, God can conquer the whole world and he lets me be a part of it. If God, the creator of the universe, is pulling for you, if he's pulling strings for you, if he's pulling threads in the tapestry for you as nasty as they seem to look, who in the world is going to win any battles against you that matter? That's probably the key words there, that matter. Who in the long run is going to have any victory over you that counts? So what I want to do... Tonight is maybe closed by just answering the question. Paul's question there, that last verse. What shall we say to these things? How about this? Thank you, Lord. Or maybe this. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for thinking that you don't care. For not trusting you as the artisan, the tapestry worker in my life. Lord, I do believe you're for me. And I will fear no evil because you're with me. Let's pray. 
Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, I'm convicted. Just this week, Lord, I've had uh, those thoughts. Wondering if you lost track of me or we're paying attention or we're uh, as intensely aware as you are. And I, I ask your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you promise whenever I ask you forgiveness or whenever I confess to you my sin. You cleanse me, Lord, from that unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. You forgive me of my sin. Lord, I don't know. I don't think I'm the only one. I ask that you would you would help us. Lord, break us of this really, really nasty habit of assuming, of, of defaulting to the idea that you're against us. Or sometimes it's because we know our behavior, we would be against us. But it's not consistent with your word. Lord, help us to understand that you are actively, intensely aware of all these things. And you're, you're working behind the scenes. You're working things together. At the throne room, you're interceding for us. Lord, you're, you're able to, to work all of these things. Lord, I thank you most of all that you're in control. How bad would it be if I was in control? Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to worry that I'm going to end up okay. Because I am your project. Thank you, Lord, for these, your, your beloved saints. And whatever you're saying, Lord, whatever you're uh, speaking to each one, comfort or gentle rebuke, I ask, Lord, that you continue and that you would uh, you'd help us, Lord, to respond the appropriate way, Lord, to you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Quick review first. God is interceding for us. He's interweaving for us. He's insistent on his purpose for us. He's in control, believe it or not. And He is in our corner. Those are all things that are pretty clear to me in the Scriptures. So, here's, here's the application part. That was just a review. Here's the application. What shall we say then? Well, first thing you might want to say to the Lord tonight is, send in the clones. <laughs> here's what I mean. Father, I'm yours. Conform me into the image of your Son. Matter of fact, <laughs> I was going to say, if you're satisfied with, with where you are conformed right now, then pray for me. Conform us. Because he is looking, he wants to have a whole army of clones. Right? Here's the deal. What I'm, what I'm suggesting is that we as a group and we as individuals, we pray, Lord, make us just like Jesus. But you know what? The reason sometimes we don't pray that is because we know that means sometimes hardship, some, some, sometimes trials. Basically what you'd be saying if you said that tonight, Lord, chip away. 
right? Like the, the statue, right? I'm chipping away everything that doesn't look like a horse. That's how I make a horse, right? He is desiring to chip away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And sometimes it hurts. But are you willing to be conformed? Because the more you're conformed to that image, the more winsome you are. The more people go, I don't know what it is about you. Right? So, I'm suggesting you may pray that. Lord, conform me into your image. Conform us into your image. Lord, chip away, weave away, even if it's ugly from my perspective. Okay? Next. Conform? I thought you said comfort. (laughs) Maybe that was the, the aha moment for you tonight. Which is, wow. Lord, I... I really have been missing the boat here. One of the reasons I've been so disgruntled and everything is because I kind of thought it was your job to make me comfortable. Reality check, Lord. Your application would be this. Lord, I trust you. Lord, even though this isn't comfortable, the thing I'm in right now, Lord, I trust you. Conform away. Okay? Next. This is the one I had to do. Lord, I am sorry. If you're convicted the way I have been, of all the times that you, he's for you and you say he's against you, I'd say repent. Just fall before him tonight. Say, Lord, I see now that you are for me. You are not against me. I'm sorry for thinking and acting and worrying and complaining and grumbling as though you were against me. Maybe that's your application tonight. I can tell you this. If you'll do that, you'll have a weight lifted off your shoulders. A weight of guilt on, on top of the other things. Right? You, you'll, you'll be reminded because He's so faithful. Whenever we confess, He always forgives us. If we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus and, and the Father through Him, He's guaranteed. First John 1 9 to cleanse us, to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right? And lastly, um, I don't know. Again, I just want to be careful and make sure that uh, we at least cover this possibility. Maybe there's someone here tonight and you are on the outside looking in. Meaning, you've been hearing all of, all of the messaging like, well, that's, that's kind of neat. I, it's kind of cool, but I ha- hate to tell you, but these verses, they're not for you. It says... God is working all these things together for the good of those who are the called according to his purpose, who, who love God. The called means that God shows you from the beginning of time and he made an invitation like the one he's doing right now and you responded. Now again, you can get into the predestination thing. Well, wait a second. If he chose me from the beginning of time, then what if I'm not chosen? Well, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not turn away. So, if you want to solve that, come to him tonight. But I'm not ready. Okay, guess you're not chosen. <laughs> that's, that's really it. That's really it. If you hear his voice, that's why it says, today, if you hear his voice, respond. Right? If you hear his voice, it's because he loves you and he's calling you to himself. Don't push him away and then blame him later. That he didn't call you. Okay? Um, if, if that last application makes sense to you and you want to receive 
the Lord Jesus. Rather than, than have a, a formal invitation, I'm just going to make sure that I stay around here uh, afterwards. If you want to uh, give your life to Jesus, I just want to invite you to come and talk with me. And I'll, uh, I'll give you all the facts. And if you desire to pray to receive Him, He's promised He will not turn you away.